probably remember this verse. If I start to quote it, just quote it with me. It comes out of Galatians, the second chapter, and verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live in faith by the Son of God. You remember that verse? Yeah. Quoting it? Well, that phrase in there, the life I now may live. Hendricks remembers it. All right, buddy. Um, the life that I now live. And that's what I want to look at this morning. The life that I may live. Well, for our text this morning, we're going to be in Philippians, the third chapter. Philippians, the third chapter. And we're going to use the first 11 verses of that. And this passage in Philippians here. This is a surprising testimony of the Apostle Paul. I mean, when you stop and look at what he says here, I mean, it's really incredible. After all, he was from the tribe of, of uh, Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was highly educated. He was a businessman. He was zealous for God. He was a man of faith. Indeed, he was faultless in regard to the law. Yet with all these credentials, when he pulls out all these trophies and he lays them out there, he vigorously persecuted the Christian community. Now Paul was in stature as far as, you know, not, not physically speaking, but he was a big man. He was smart. He was educated. People listened to him. He had power then. Um, you know, he was the one who would be persecuting Christians. But now, after all that said, I want you to listen to his testimony here in the third chapter of Philippians, verses 1 through 11. It says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for these dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of, of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surprising greatness of knowing Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ." the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to obtain the resurrection from the dead. This is His this declaration here. The, the, the first thing that we can learn from this declaration that Paul gives us is this. Resist legalistic attitudes. Resist legalistic attitudes. And why? Legalism is a killjoy. It destroys the joy in your Christian life. It can ruin a family. 
it can ruin people, and it can ruin churches. So to make sure we're on the same page here, the definition of legalism is, sub is substituting rules and regulations for my relationship with Jesus Christ. Legalism can sneak into the, the um, believer's life very subtly. Legalism will cause us to lose our joy. Now this has been a problem for thousands of years. Back in the New Testament, the legalists, they were called Judaizers. They were a group of people who said, yes, you can believe in, in uh, Jesus Christ. You can trust Him with all your heart. But there's also some other things that you must add to your faith. They wanted to add some things to it. It was works. It was Christ plus works. In fact, they said, you must keep every one of the Jewish laws to be a believer. You must keep the Sabbath laws in order to be a Christian. You must be circumcised. You must uh, watch the dietary laws and all these other different rules. Well, Paul had had enough of hearing all this. These Judaizers, they were just bombarding the Christians with this. And Paul just had enough of it. And so here in Philippians, the third chapter, he's attacking them. He's telling them what he thinks about this. Um, he's attacking those Judaizers who are trying to steal the joy of the Christians there in Philippi. And it's something that we can learn from too because our joy can be stolen just as well. And Satan does a good job at trying to steal our joy. Look at verses 2 and 3 here. It says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Now, can you see the... Um, can you sense Paul's sense of anger here? First of all, he calls them dogs. Now, when we think of dogs, we think of warm, cuddly little puppies. But in New Testament times, dogs were not pets. Dogs were, were wild scavengers who would attack human beings, who would eat them, kill them. You know, it was the worst thing you could think of to call someone a dog. So here's Paul calling them dogs. I mean, he's getting downright ugly with this. Well, if you want to have the life um, that you can now live, first of all, we need to live each day by grace. Live each day by grace. Grace is the key to joy in the Christian life. In fact, the two words go together. Um, it's interesting to note that the word for grace is the word charis, and the word for joy is charai. And they, they have the same Greek, the same root in the Greek language. Grace and joy, they really go together. So in these few verses, Paul uses his life as an example here. You see, Paul, he was a superstar legalist before he became a believer. I mean, he was right up there. He says, folks, I've tried to be good. He says, and I've tried all the rules and regulation stuff, and it don't work. Look at verses 4 through 6. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day 
of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. You see, Paul, he's pulling out all his trophies there. It's kind of like bragging rights. He said, I was one of the best of you. I was one of the, 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 good, uh, the good legalizers here. I got you beat by a long shot. I was the super legalist. I kept all the different rules. And then what he does, he gives in this passage, he gives us three examples of legalism that we can apply today. So there's a message in this, this declaration for us. Well, first of all, how do, you, how do we know that we are falling into legalism? How do we know that? Well, here's the way you know. You begin to trust in one of three things. First of all, you begin to trust in rituals. You see, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, that was a Jewish ritual. Well, today we have our rituals as well. You know, we say, well, I was baptized when I was a kid, or I took communion. And if all you do is trust in rituals, let me tell you something, you're in trouble here. And then secondly, he talks about you begin to trust in race. Paul says of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. You know, um, he said, I used to trust in my heritage. I used to trust in where I come from here. You know, you might gain religion by osmosis, but you can't get Christ by osmosis, I can tell you. And then he began to trust in religion. He said a Hebrew of Hebrews, or in regard to the law, a Pharisee. You know, Jesus doesn't have anything against religion except he's 100% opposed to it. You see, religion is man's attempt to get to God. In other words, it works. Understand that Jesus Christ is a relationship, not a religion. Jesus Christ is a relationship, not a religion. No church has a copyright or a patent on God. I don't trust in rules. Paul says, I was a Pharisee and I kept all the rules. The point is this. There's nothing wrong with some of these rules or these things, but the problem is thinking that you get points with God or that God loves you more, you know, if you do them. Well, you see, it don't work like that. Why? Because God already loves us unconditionally. He died for us. In Romans, the 14th chapter, in verse 17 and 18, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by man. You see, Christianity is not a matter of rules and regulations. If the Christian life were a bunch of don'ts, then anyone could qualify as a Christian because they don't do anything. But Christianity is active and it's exciting and there's plenty to do. And to be honest with you, when you're doing things as a Christian and you're doing things together, it's a hoot. It's a lot of fun. You know, Paul says it's not a matter of eating and drinking and all these rules and everything like that. The Christian life is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
And then the second thing that we can learn from his declaration out of these 11 verses here is reevaluate your activities. You know, a lot of people, they are looking for joy in all the wrong places. And Paul here, he compares the value of religion to the value of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, You've got to remember, Paul was a very religious person, but he was lost, you see. And in verses 7 and 8, it says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surprising greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now, notice some important words here. You know, it's kind of neat to look back over this verse. If you're taking notes, just circle the word profit there. He uses it one time. And then circle the word loss, which he uses three times there. This is Paul's P&L statement. This is his profit and loss statement regarding life right here. And Paul considered all these things we have talked about a complete loss, talking about the rituals and the race and the religion. He considered them a complete loss. They are worthless. They are a complete loss. Like the man who tried to deduct his wife's beauty treatment and went to the audit with the IRS, and the guy said, you can't deduct this. And he said, why not? He said, it was a total loss. I'm not going to tell you what I was thinking. Hear this. The number one reason that people lose their joy is they misplace their priorities. The number one reason why people lose their joy is they misplace their priorities. They get too involved in things that really aren't important. And let me tell you something. You can have it all and still be miserable. In Luke, the 12th chapter, in verse 5, he tells us, Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's one of the important lessons that we've got to learn in life. You see, life is a matter of trade-offs. Paul says, I gave up something in order to get something or in order to gain something. I gave up all my religion in order to have a relationship. Because, see, you can't live two ways at the same time. The number one reason why people have, uh, don't have joy is because of misplaced priorities. You know, people are afraid that they're going to have to give up something in order to become a Christian. Well, guess what? That's correct. You do. When you become a Christian, you give up everything you've got. When you become a Christian, it is total commitment. You give up everything you've got, and then, let me tell you, you've never had it so good. I mean, when you look at the trade-offs here, you know, Paul says, all these things we used to think were really cool, they aren't worth a thing. I mean, look at the trade-offs when you become a Christian. I gave up guilt, and I gained a clear conscience and forgiveness. 
That was worth the trade-off, wasn't it? Yeah. I gave up worry and I gained power for living. That was a good trade. I gave up frustration and lack of purpose in life and I gained real meaning and real purpose in life. That was worth the trade. I gave up hell. I gave up going to hell for going to heaven. Was that a good trade? I think so. I gave up trying to solve all my problems on my own power and I gained having the resource of God to help me solve my problems. Yes, that was a good trade. You know, I'm not much of an accountant, but I can figure out that one side is a whole lot more valuable than the other side. And this is what Paul is saying here. All those things that I used to think were so important, I gave them up. And guess what? I gave them up willingly because of what I've got. Folks, when you look at it, that's not a hard decision to make. That's not a hard trade-off. You see, God's plan is going to last for eternity. This world's plan for success, it only lasts 50 or 60 years. Well, the third thing that we can really learn from this declaration here is focus your ambitions. Focus your ambitions. First of all, you continually to resist those legalistic attitudes. You continually reevaluate your activities. And then you continually refocus your ambitions. He says, lasting joy comes from knowing Christ better and better. Look at verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Now you might circle that word no. I want to tell you something about that. Paul says, my number one goal in life is to know Christ better. Folks, that ought to be our goal in life, is to know Jesus Christ better. My question for you is, how well do you know Jesus Christ? You know, I know a lot of Christians who've been Christians for 10 or 20 and even 30 years, and they really don't know Jesus Christ all that well. You see, there's a big difference between knowing Jesus and knowing about Jesus. And there's a lot of people that know about Jesus, but they really don't have that personal relationship with Jesus to know Him. Well, that word know there is the word yada, Y-A-D-A. And it means to know intimately, to know by experience. This is the same word that the, the Greeks translated the Old Testament where it says Adam knew Eve. And it's the same word that says Joseph did not know his wife until Jesus was born. Paul says the third secret of, of the life that, that I now may live is to get to know Christ better and better. You know, that's the secret for life. You know, the life that I may live now and experience this joy is to get to know Jesus Christ better and better, to know Him intimately. You know, you never stop growing and developing in your relationship. I don't care how old you are. You never stop. Because the moment you stop growing, you're going to lose your joy. You know, and I've told you before, I think, the little fellow that fell out of bed, his mother came running in and said, what happened, Tommy? And Tommy said, well, I guess I just stayed too close to where I got in. Well, this illustration, you know, it describes a, a lot of Christian folks that I know. You know, they stayed too close to where they got in. 
You know, they hopped on board this train to heaven. They made a commitment, but they haven't grown one whit since they made that initial decision. They stayed too close to where they got in. Folks, if you think about it, we really don't have a choice if we want to be happy. You've got to keep growing. You can't stay where you are. So, how do I know God? Or how do I get to know God in a personal way? Well, let me give you three things or three words that will help you to get you to know God in a better way. First of all, it takes time. It takes time. It takes time to know anybody. It takes time to develop a relationship. It takes time to get to know God. You need to spend some time with God if you're going to get to know Him. You know, and I'm talking about sitting down with your Bible and reading it and praying, going for a walk and talking to God about your, your problems, your needs, spending time with God, talking and listening to Him and let Him talk to you through His Word. You know, it's hard to develop a relationship in a crowd. What if every time that I dated my wife during our engagement, the only time I saw her was in a group this size? You know, it would have been hard, you know, to develop a closeness in a crowd. You can't do that. Yet many Christians, they feel like the only time that they ever think about Jesus Christ is in a crowd when they're with other Christians here. You know, they never develop a relationship on their own one-on-one. -on -one. Folks, it takes time. And you need to get with Jesus alone. The times that you're not here. You see, it's easy to live and be like a Christian when you're with other Christians. But it's hard to do that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday when you're working and maybe you're not around other Christians. So get to know Jesus on a personal level. He also says it takes talk. You know, you've got to talk to God. And this is what prayer is all about. You see, relationships require communication. When a couple, when they stop communicating with one another, their marriage is dying when they stop communicating. Marriage requires communication. Of course, any relationship requires communication. You know, make prayer a regular part of your day. Listen to the Father and Him talk to you as you read His Word. John, the 16th chapter, in verse 24, it says, Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. You see, it kind of goes like this. Much prayer in your life equals much joy in your life. When you pray a lot, there'll be much joy. When there's little prayer, there'll be little joy. When there's no prayer, there'll be no joy. You've got to talk to God to develop that relationship. And then it takes trust. Relationships are built on trust. And God wants us to learn to trust Him. You know, He will allow all kinds of problems in your life so that you can learn that He is reliable all the time. In the years that I've been a Christian, I've discovered that God is reliable in every situation. He can be counted on. He is faithful. 
You see, the times that I looked around and, and God wasn't there, who left? It wasn't God. It was me. You see. Well, I didn't learn that overnight because I'm kind of hard-headed. You know, trust is learned from years of going through problems and, and seeing God pull me through it. And this is something you learn by experience. Paul says his number one ambition in life is to know Jesus Christ. Now think about this. Think about where Paul is in his life. He's at the end of his life. And Paul is wanting to express and share everything he can to point us in the right direction. And using his own life as an example, he did that. Well, he's at the end of his life. Remember, he's in jail here. He's getting ready to die in Rome. Did he already know Christ? Well, of course he did. But he wanted to know Christ even better. He never gave up on that. He kept wanting to know Christ. He kept on. That was his challenge to learn more and more about Jesus Christ. My question to you this morning, are you losing your joy? Or have you lost it? Has your Christian life become routine? You know, there's no spark. You don't have that original freshness that you had when you first came to know Jesus. If so, which of these three killjoys are the culprit? for you feeling that way. Number one, is it legalism? Have you slowly substituted rules and, and regulations for a relationship with Christ? Or how about materialism? You know, materialism, that can take your joy away. You know, what does your spiritual profit and loss sheet look like? Or what are you really living for? You've heard of the game Trivial Pursuit Trivial pursuit, it describes a lot of ways that a lot of people live, just spending their lives on things that aren't going to last, you see. Does your life have a purpose? Have you tried everything else in the world to find happiness and couldn't find it? If you have, you really need to know the rescuer. And that is Jesus Christ. Today, people are looking for joy in all the wrong places. Well, joy comes from knowing Jesus Christ. Knowing Jesus begins with a decision. A decision to say, Father, I want to know you personally. The life that you can now live starts with a decision. But it's your choice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for Paul's declaration. We thank you for, for him sharing that with us so that we can realize that everything this world has to offer is useless. Father, help us to anchor into the rock, which is you. Help us to make the right choices. In Jesus' name.